Okay, somebody asked a question. I said in my earlier statements, uh, quoting Ellen White, she said the Bible was miraculously preserved. How do you know Ellen White was referring to uh, the Textus Receptus, is the question here, and not some of these other manuscripts? So I went ahead and I want to just read you when she made these statements. Listen carefully. Ellen White says, A divine hand has preserved its purity through all the ages. When was the statement made? 1881 and in 1884. And this, at this point, only the King James was available to her, or to anybody. Okay, this is before any new version had come out in English. And we're only talking about English. No new translation based on the 1844 discovery had come out yet. Then in 1903, in the book Education, and later in 1913, in Council to Parents and Teachers, she, by this time, the other versions had come out now, she repeated the same statement, almost word for word. Throughout the ages, a divine hand has preserved its purity. And then, of course... In 1899, she made this statement. The manuscripts of the Hebrew and Greek scriptures have been preserved through the ages by a miracle of God. Now, if that is so, and that's why this morning, I was only putting this forward as from my study over time, and I've shared this in different venues and I'm listening to the, the people who bring more information to either show that this is right or not. I'm listening carefully to the community of Adventists as I share this. Very interesting. Ellen White consistently was talking about the way she was using it, the manuscripts that supported the King James, the Textus Receptus. And I, I've seen that consistently in her writings. And so as I read this, and this was 1899, the year after she published The Desire of Ages, and the year after she had said she was on the camp meeting grounds at, in Australia, Queensland, when she says she had a vision of the angel who told her, actually it was Jesus through the vision, wanting her, saying, speak to the pastors and the Bible teachers to teach the divinity of Jesus. And she actually gave the texts, and all of them really are supportive of the Textus Receptus. And so as I'm putting all of this together, this morning I made the recommendation, do not throw out your other translations. Don't throw them out. Here is one with four different translations. King James, New International, New Revised Standard Version, and then a paraphrased Living Bible. I said, don't throw them out. I am suggesting using them in the same manner that Ellen White used them. How did she use these other translations? When they said more clearly what was already in the King James, when they said more correctly what was in the King James. Somebody said to me, but, but what do you mean correctly? Ah, fascinating. And so, this is our next question. Somebody said, give me an example, okay, where the King James was not correct in its translation. Open your Bibles now. I want you to open your Bibles. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 28. Now, there are a few examples. I don't know of too many, but here is a very good example, 1 Kings 10.28. And why was this wrong? The King James translators, back in 400 years ago, sometimes had to take a guess. There are certain words in the Bible that appear one time only. It's like if I've got a long sentence and I say, Zimgada. And you say, what? Zimgada? What does Zimgada mean? Now, you listen to the context, Zimgada, and you say, well, in the context of the sentence that Dupre mentioned, Zimgada probably means such and such, but you really don't know, okay? 
In the same way, sometimes a word appeared once in the King James. They had no idea. And if there's no context to make sure, they guessed at it. Read that. Who, who would read for us here? Give me a chance to take a break. Come up here and read for us. Tim, you're close to the front. First, if that's the King James, First Kings chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 28. And then I'd like somebody else from any new translation. New King James, NIV, to come up here and also read. And notice the difference. Out of Egypt and uh, and linen yarn. Okay, interesting. He brought horses out of Egypt and linen yarn. What translation is this? New King James. See what the New King James does. And where? Ah, okay. From Egypt and Kever. Ah, oh, not linen yarn. That's enough. Thanks, Michelle. Kever. What happened? Since the King James came out, archaeological discoveries have been made. They found out that Keve, or Q, some Bibles, have your Bible say K-U-E? Any Bible says, yeah, Q, okay, K-U-E, or Keve. Keve is the little Hebrew, by the way. The literal Hebrew says Keve, K-E-V-E-H. But translated into English is Q. He brought horses from Egypt and from Q, another city. The King James authors had no idea what Keve is. So they said, hmm, that must be linen yarn. So they said linen yarn. <laughs> okay, they guessed sometimes. Now these were not major things. A few minor things where they guessed. Okay, that's a classic example of, ah. But you know what's interesting? Fascinating. When it came to some of these, very few, when there were these few things, interesting. Ellen White actually chose a marginal reading. She went to the margin because the marginal reading was more correct. Or she chose the revised version. Fascinating. She didn't know the Hebrew. She didn't know the Greek. But guess who she knew? She had supernatural source to help her. Nowadays we have all kinds of tools. By the way, don't say we don't. You know what? Since 1843. Did I say 19? No, I said 18. Since 1843, there have been two volumes that have been published. Guess what they're called? The Englishman's Hebrew and Chaldee, Aramaic, concordance. The Englishman's Greek concordance. That means for over 160 years, if you don't know Hebrew, you don't know Greek, you can understand the Bible in the Hebrew and the Greek from looking at the words from these tools that were available for 160 years. It's been there since before 1844. Those tools have been available for those who don't know Hebrew and Greek. But Ellen White didn't know it. Somehow we know the Spirit did lead her clearly choose more carefully. One more example. I'm going to keep that for the end of, uh, of the King James. Uh, interesting, by the way, there's one text. 1 John chapter 5, verse 7. That's caused quite a controversy. And I just want to mention it here because that's the issue that sometimes comes up. 1 John 5, verse 7. And you'll notice what the King James does with this one. 1 John 5, verse 7. This is the one that people have used to prove the Trinity. And I'll read to you what the King James says on this text. Now, there's a lot of history on this. I don't want to take a lot of time on this because I, I want to cover a few other questions, at least make su uh, uh, suggested answers to them. King James says, listen to this, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, that's Jesus, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. However, if you get to the New International Version, what does it say? For there are three that testify. That's it. It's not there. 
the Father, the Word, the Spirit are not there. You know what? Very interesting. That verse, and Ellen White, did she believe in the Trinity? Oh, yes. Ellen White never in her 10,000 quotations from Scripture ever quotes 1 John 5, verse 7. Why not? Aha! Guess what? Divine inspiration. Because during her day, the scholars had not yet discovered that that one text is a spurious text. There is no Greek manuscript evidence to support it. Ellen White never quoted it. And I say, praise God. I'm so glad that the Lord led Ellen White. She could have used it to, pr to provide support for the Trinity. She didn't. She used other texts, not that one, that the scholars have clearly shown has no early manuscript evidence for. Again, the Lord led her. Repeatedly we find it. If we take Ellen White seriously, that's a key issue here. I challenge you, take her very, very seriously. You find some very interesting hap things happening when you do that. Okay, um, let's see, A, B, C, D, I'm trying to follow through my notes here. I try to put them in some kind of an order. Um, oh yes, can you prove the 2300 day prophecy from the Revised Standard Version, from the New International Version, the New King James or KJV? By the way, KJV and NKJV both say unto 2300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Okay, I just want you to know both of them have the same thing there. The NIV, then shall the sanctuary be reconsecrated. The new Revised Standard Version or Revised Standard Version, then shall the sanctuary be restored to its rightful state. Now if you were here, was it Wednesday night or was it last night? Time goes so fast I forget sometimes. I mentioned that word cleansed comes from a Hebrew word that is used in that form once in the entire Bible. The word nitzdak. It's unique. And if you study into it, fascinating, that word has three key meanings. Fascinating. And so actually on this text, all three Bibles are right. The word nitzdak means cleansed, 2300 days, yes. The sanctuary was restored to its rightful state and the sanctuary was reconsecrated. And those three words actually are responding to verse 13. If you read Daniel 8 verse 13, there are three questions that are asked. The angel asks three questions and the answer is given, then shall the sanctuary be nitzdak, which says, restored to its rightful state, it will be consecrated, it will be cleansed, and it actually correctly answers it. Clearly, by inspiration, that word was chosen under God's guidance so that it can answer all three questions. And in the proper breadth of understanding, that word is the right word. We've got stuck on the one meaning cleansed, but we must look at the broader, and it includes all three aspects. Um, the Daniel and the Revelation Committee has done some study on this. Dr. Richard Davidson, the chairman of the Old Testament Department at the Theological Seminary at Andrews University, has done a fascinating study on Nitzdag, published in the Journal of the Adventist Theological Society, showing if you go back to the Hebrew and study it seriously, it's the right word. You can prove it from any one of these three Bibles. No problem whatsoever. Um, here's a question, but I think we've answered it already. Somebody says, how can we uh, worship effectively if we read these other translations that are problematic? And my answer again, 
I would suggest use them the way Ellen White used them when they say in a clearer manner what is already in the King James Version. One more thing I want to end up with here because our time, I promised you time to go home so you can get a break and we're going to sing a song here. Matthew, one more example where the King James is, is not the best. Matthew 19 verse 18. Open your Bibles there. A last example here. This is going to take me a few minutes to share with you. Matthew 19, verse 18. And as you go to that, I'm going to ask somebody to come up and read that for me. Um, I'm just reading these other questions that others have raised. But, uh, by the way, incidentally, you have to think of uh, people who don't read English. Do they have the King James Version? <clears throat> the rest of the world out there? Let me hear. No. They have other translations. So remember, the people who say King James only, they're ignoring the world. English is not the only language in the world. There are many other languages, so let's be careful about just saying it must be King James. Adventists believe in thought inspiration, not verbal dictation. And so be careful about some of those directions that people go with. Uh, I would suggest, uh, and I'm just looking at this right here. Who will come and read that text for me here quickly? Somebody come up. Adrian, you want to come up here? Oh, there's a... Jason's coming up to read Matthew 19, verse 18. This is the last example of uh, where the King James is inconsistent. And, and there aren't many that I know of, but here is one I just want to mention. He saith unto him, Which Jesus said, Thou shalt do no murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear falsehood. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, by the way, the person who dropped these off on my, on my table, uh, it looks like one or two people, I haven't had a chance to read them, to reflect on them. I'd be glad to sit and talk with you for just two or three minutes here in the break. Um, but I want the time to reflect on these, which is why we ask people to uh, respond earlier. Interesting. That is the place the King James says, Thou shalt not murder. The word there is the Greek word for neo. Okay? And you know what's interesting? In the other places where the King James is commenting, uh, where Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, guess what the King James has? Thou shalt not what? Kill. It's, the, it's inconsistent. It's the same Greek word, but this one place. When you get to Mark, where the same thing is recorded by Mark, the King James says, Jesus said to him, Thou shalt not kill. <laughs> so in Matthew, for some unknown reason, the King James suddenly decides to limit it to murder. I don't know why the translators did it. These are a few examples where they're inconsistent. So don't jump on that and say, Ah, oh, Jesus limits it to murder. No, the King James translators were inconsistent. Because of the rest of the times, and I've done a complete study of that, for those of you who are interested, it's, it's actually, I did a whole chapter on this whole issue, and dealing with the issue of kill murder, I, an entire chapter dealing with that, and all the evidences, all the texts, the King James is inconsistent on that point. But those are a few of the inconsistencies. And what's interesting is that Ellen White, somehow, by God's guidance, chose consistent things, chose, she was guided. Nowadays we have lots of tools, we have lots of people around who can help us, we can choose carefully. My suggestion, spend time in the Word. Use a good study Bible. I use, as I say, generally I go with the New King James Version, but I suggest that we still maintain in the manner that Ellen White used it. Otherwise we've got a problem. Why do I say we've got a problem? Because Ellen White was consistent in saying, for example, I mentioned this earlier this morning, if you weren't here, many have arrived since then. I pointed out how Ellen White talking about the thief on the cross said, the thief called Jesus Lord, addressed him as divine. That you find in the Textus Receptus on which the King James is based. 
The eclectic text, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus, all say, no, he didn't call him Lord. And Ellen White talks, uses a big, makes a big theological point that he called him Lord, he recognized him as divine, Jesus got hope and comfort through that, and the question you have to ask yourself is either Ellen White is right, or these other manuscripts are right. She's misled and an imposter, or she just didn't know her stuff, or the Spirit forgot to tell her, Ah, so I just say, I go with the way that she consistently used different Bible translations, but always went back to the King James as the foundation from which she operated. That I have found to me is the simplest and the safest way. Yes, you can. Please don't misunderstand. You can prove every one of what we believe are doctrines from the other versions. Did you hear what I said? You can. It's a little harder sometimes, but you can prove it. Okay? All I'm saying is, don't go to the extremes. If you make sure that the language you can understand, yes, and all of these things, interestingly, my whole series this weekend is to make you aware that we are living in serious times. Why is it that in 1844, on the one hand, God was raising up a people to promote the sanctuary truth, the second coming, life only in Christ, okay, the state of the dead, a belief in the scriptures, the spirit of prophecy, okay? And on the other hand, we find all of, the, oh, the Sabbath as well. On the other hand, we find evolutionism, Darwinism, dispensationalism and the rapture theory, spiritism, all these conflicting and confusing Bible versions. Why is it all happening when? Right there between 1843 and 1845. What have I concluded? Clearly, God was getting a people ready to recapture Bible truths long forgotten, long lost. At the same time, the devil was working overtime to confuse, confound, distort, and destroy these rediscoveries. To major movements to counter this. There is a great controversy here. Do you folks believe that? Yes. So let's be careful. Let's read carefully. Realize there are two streams of almost everything happening. Either this way or that way. We are in the great controversy. And the great controversy, the war, is about you, about me. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that Jesus is risen from the grave. Thank you that right now he ministers on our behalf as our high priest in the heavenly sanctuary, ever living to make intercession. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible, wonderful truths you have blessed this Advent movement with. And I pray that everyone here at the Advent Hope Mess meetings will go forth with renewed vigor to share these wonderful, solid Bible truths with others, helping others prepare for eternity. Bless us now, in Jesus' name, Amen. Come back here in an hour and 15 minutes. We'll do a short song service, a 40-minute presentation, ending right at sunset. God bless you.